Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Let's start a new series today, guys. I'm excited about this series, and especially after... um, going through the first message this morning. We're going to talk about identity over the next few weeks. Uh, Because when you look at culture today, um, I would say identity is on the top of most conversation pieces, whether it's gender identity, sexual identity, um, financial identity, relational identity. Um, Even when you look at this new um, occupation that is growing as a social media influencer, um, that whole platform that whole job niche is built on identity and image. And so we're going to look at what does Scripture say about identity and image and, and how are we supposed to walk that out in according to the truth of God's Word. So let's go to Genesis um, chapter 1, all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to in the beginning. And, and we see in Genesis chapter 1, God creating the heavens and the earth, and he's creating all the plants and the trees, and he's creating the, the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, the animals on land. And he says that everything is good. And what's, what's crazy is in the beginning of creation, everything that God created, he speaks into existence. He says, let there be light. And you go down a couple of verses, and it says that is exactly what happens. And he says, let, let every seed-bearing plant you know, grow up from the ground, that they reproduce after each other as its own kind. And it says that is exactly what happened. And so we understand that truth and that principle that when God says something is going to happen, guess what's going to happen? whatever it is, right? It's going to happen. And so we're going to look here in verse 26. And it says, then God said. So God is now giving another directive. It says, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry on the ground. And when he's saying, let us make man or human beings in our image, that is a reference to the Trinity being present with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not God standing before the angels saying, let us make man in our image, but instead he's saying, let us as the Trinity, as, as the, the Godhead, the one living God, make God, make man in our image. In verse 27, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, being the emphasis on the image there. And he created them male and female. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, 
I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And then that next sentence there says, and that is what happened. And then he looks back in verse 31 over all that he made, and he said it was what? It was what? Very good. Can we pray for God's word? God, I thank you um, for your word, um, that in the beginning was the word. And God, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And as we dig into the Holy Scripture today, it says in Isaiah that your word goes out and does exactly what you want it to. Um, God, we don't want to manipulate it. God, I pray that your words would be my words. Um, God, your word says in Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing us to ourselves. God, let your word do a work in us to make us more in uh, to the image that you've created us to be. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at this thought of identity and image. And there's this phrase that was around in the 90s, and maybe it's not as big now, and it's, it's image is everything. Have you guys heard that? Like, image is everything. Image is the most important thing. And, and that was really kind of coined in the 90s. And I stand up here referencing things in the 90s thinking that was not so long ago. And I remember my pastor referencing things in the 70s thinking, dude, that was forever ago. You're so old. And I realize as I'm referencing 90s materials, some of you, your parents were probably in high school or college and you weren't even thought of. But there was this guy in the 90s. He was an incredible athlete um, in his field. It's not Michael Jordan. It's not Wayne Gretzky. Um, it's a game that probably many of us in here have not played, but he had incredible hair. Um, and he had just the great, like, 5 o'clock stubble. His name was Andre Agassi. Does anybody remember Andre Agassi? Dude was so cool. Um, and so he, <laughs> he had, what, am I being a little too obvious that he was so cool? Oh, he's up there. Okay. So he did this Canon camera commercial, and in it he said, image is everything. And they picked the right guy to say that image is everything. Now, this was uh, in the 90s. His image was incredible then. But how many of you know that as we grow, our image changes, and we wish it wasn't everything? Um, and so this is Andre Agassi now. Um, he's not the same guy on the outside, but he's probably just as cool a guy on the inside and has way more money than me now, so what can I say about it, right? But, but when we look at image... And we look at how we build our image, and I got to thinking about this differentiation between image and identity. We don't really see the word identity in Scripture. We see principles of identity. We see character. Um, we see ability. We see giftings. We see experience. These are all things that kind of form our identity. Um, but it's not really ever mentioned. But what is mentioned that I just read is this, is this word image says that we are made in the image of God. And so I got to thinking about, like, what's the difference between image and identity? And I actually found, 
you know, several cool, like, interesting articles when it comes to, like, marketing and publicity and advertising that talks about image and identity. And I was joking with some of the uh, worship team this morning, like, I wanted to be a graphic designer so that I could design CD covers back in the day. And I'm glad I didn't do that because I wouldn't have a job, right? Because we don't buy CDs anymore. But, but you would create an image. The artist would have an image on the CD that would represent the music and represent them as an artist, right? And so when you look at this idea of image and identity, this is what image is. And just, I want you to walk with me thinking about this. This this image is how people view you, a brand or a product. And so if you're thinking about an image, it's, it's really what people think about you, think about me, think about us as a church what they think about brands. And, and if I were to give you the name of something, the first thing that you think of or, or how you feel or a memory, that is the image, that is the opinion, the view that you have of that. So, so when I say Disney, what you think of, that is the image that you have about Disney. If I say Nike, what you think of, that's the image that you have about that product. If I give you a name like, like Mother Teresa, the first thing that comes to your mind is the image that you have of her and, and who she is. And the thing about your image is I, I hate to let you know this, like, like your image is what other people think about you. And I hate to let you know this, but you can't control what they think. We try. And we try, but ultimately, we cannot control what someone else thinks about us. And, and I've said this, but it's been a while. Oftentimes, though, we find ourselves thinking about how other people think about us more than they actually think about us, right? We're worried about the image that they have about us in their minds. So the image is what people think about us. According to marketing, this is what identity is. Identity is how you project yourself, how you present yourself based on the image that you desire for other people to have about you. Does that make sense? You can't control the image they have about you. You can't control what they think about you. But what you can control is your identity and how you present yourself to them that causes the way that they think about you. And what happens when we look at ourselves, we want to be known or viewed in a certain way. When we're teenagers, when we're young adults, when we're parents, in life, in different seasons, we want to be viewed a certain way, and so we adjust portions of our identity to be viewed that way. Maybe we want to be viewed to have an image that, that we are strong, that we are funny, that we are smart, that we are wealthy, and so what happens is, is we will build up portions of our identity to project that or we will suppress portions of our identity to project that so that we can receive that image. Are you guys tracking with me? And so maybe at other times, instead of, instead of portraying something, we want to be strong, smart, funny, wealthy, whatever that is for you, that you want to be seen as that. But then on the flip side, on the flip side, maybe our image we feel trapped by our image that we see of ourselves that we think that other people have of us is we're weak, 
we're insignificant, we're worthless, we're not very wise. And so instead of building that up as our image, we are trapped by that image, okay? The image is what other people think about us. And so we build our identity to change that image, to pursue that image. And I just wanna, as we talk about this being made, as believers, we have to recognize that our image, we just read it, our image has already been set. Our image has already been set. And we, as believers and followers of Jesus, we should really only be concerned about the one who set the image for us. Does that make sense? Not worrying about what other people's image are, and we allow that to affect us, but what we should do is focus on the one who has already set our image for us. You know why? Because we're created after him. And so when we look at this, here's the truth that we're gonna keep pointing back to this whole series because this is the foundation that we're gonna build everything else on is we are created in the image of God. That he had an image in his mind, how he perceived us, how he saw us, how he wanted us to be, and he created us in that image. And so instead of worrying to try to build an identity for what other people see of us, we wanna build an identity for the foundation for what has already been seen in us from the very start of creation, right? And so when we look at this, um, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Like, what, is, what does that mean? And when you look at all of creation, it's like God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, and it happened. And then God said, let us make, let us make man in our image. And then you get in Genesis chapter two, and it says that God formed from the dust man. Everything else was spoken. We were created, which means he had a hand. It was a personal touch. And then it says that, that he breathed his breath into the nostrils of man, and we became a living being. Man became a living being, not by speaking us to become living, but because God breathed into us, and we became living. So we we're a little dirty, and we're a little divine. Come on. We can be both. And I want us to get this foundational piece before we can build anything else on it. So what, is it, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Is it God's a, like a spiritual being? So there's this spiritual component that we have. God's a creative God. So, so there are creative components about us. And so God's a God of order. And so there's the administrative side about of us. And so it's not that, that we have all of those because I know some people that are created in the image of God and they're not very creative, right? I know some people that are created in the image of God and compassion is, is one of God's points of, of, of character and nature. And I know some people that they're not very compassionate, right? Don't look around, <laughs> right? I'm not making eye contact with anybody. But here's, here's, here's what we're saying. As you look at the total population, 8 billion people in the world, can you like fathom that? We think like 197,000 people in five years in Murfreesboro, 8 billion people. 
And each and every single person on earth is meant to reflect the one who created them. It's like, how, 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 how can that be? Um, how, do we, how do we associate those that aren't Christians? How do we associate those that think differently than us? And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Because what the enemy tries to do from the very beginning in the garden, from the very beginning, the enemy's ultimate goal is not just to get us to sin, but to get us to doubt who we are and who God is. Because when the enemy, when Satan came to Eve, he said this, the reason, like God didn't, did, did God really tell you not to eat from this tree that you would die? He's like, he, you're not gonna die. What, what God is afraid is going to happen is that when you eat of this, that you will become like him, knowing everything. They had forgotten that they had been made like him from the very beginning. And that's what the enemy tries to do to, to get us to forget or to doubt whose image we are made in. So that happens in the garden at the very beginning when everything is perfect. And then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is about to begin his ministry Jesus has just been baptized in Matthew chapter 3. He's, he's not done anything. He's not preached a sermon. He's not performed a miracle. They've still got water at the wedding. There's no wine there yet. Like there's, there's not been anything massive done for Jesus to have any acclimates, for Jesus to have any rewards. And he is buried in the waters of baptism. He is baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And as he is coming up out of the water, Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, or this is my son in whom I love so much, and he's done nothing. That's his image. That's his identity. The very next chapter, he goes into the wilderness, and the enemy comes. Satan comes. Says, Satan comes to tempt him after he's fasted for 40 days. He's alone. He's tired. He's hungry. What does Satan say? if you really are the son of God. And so in both areas of our life, in the garden, when everything is perfect, when everything is hitting on all cylinders in your life and nothing can go wrong, it's a perfect day. But in the back of our mind, the enemy is saying, this is all fake. What if people really know who you are? Does, is, is God working on your behalf? Is this really you? What if you lose it all? when everything's going perfect. Or maybe we're in the wilderness when we're tired and we're hungry and we're isolated and we're feeling like, God, where are you at? The enemy comes and says, God's left you. Are you really a Christian? You're all alone. You're hungry and tired. He's not taking care of you. Are you really? And so don't think that we're safe from our identity and our image being questioned because that's what the enemy comes to do because not only is he causing us to question our identity, but he's also causing us to question God's goodness because he created us. And so how do we, how do we combat that from, from the garden to the wilderness, from the perfection to the chaos and the isolation? We're questioned, am I really made in the image of God? And Regardless of where you're at, what you're going through, 
where you've been, what you've done, how long you've walked with Jesus, how far you've turned from Jesus, it does not change the fact and the truth that every single one of us, every single person, eight plus billion people on this planet, every single person was created in the image of God. And if we're not careful, we can have this thought that it's only Christians that are created in the image of God. We can have this um, inclusive mindset that it's only those that attend church on Sunday morning, only those that do the devotions, only those like, like those that think differently than us, those that worship differently than us, those that um, have different ideas socially, they're not made in the image of God. But we look at scripture, it says all of mankind is made in the image of God. What about our sin nature? What does that do? This is what I just kind of concluded. Sin doesn't destroy that image. It merely defaces it. The image of who we are and who created us is still on the inside of us. It's not destroyed. Sin has merely defaced it. And if you think about people who have defaced statues by spraying spray paint on the statues, the statue's still there. The image is still there. It's just got some graffiti on the front of it. I was talking with our kids and they found out like someone went to see the Mona Lisa and they tried to throw like uh, soup on the Mona Lisa to deface it. Luckily, there's glass across the front of it, right? Um, and what the enemy's trying to do is to deface the image in which we are made in. Whether we're following Jesus or not following Jesus, every person is made in the image. Because look at this, Genesis chapter one, or Genesis chapter five, verses one and three. Um, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. So this is three chapters removed from creation, and is now we're getting into the lineage of who Adam is and all his descendants, and we are reminded that God created human beings to be just like himself, and he created them male and female, and he blessed them. This is after sin has entered the world. Sin does not destroy the image in which we are created in. It only defaces it. And it says that when Adam was 130 years old, my Lord, I'm 45 and just got a new puppy. I can't imagine being 130 years old and having a child. And he's 130 years old and he has a son. He becomes a father of a son. Look, and what does it say? Father of a son who, what? Was just like him in his very image. Now go back to creation. God said every, every seed-bearing plant is gonna reproduce after its image. Every fruit-bearing tree is gonna reproduce after its image. And he's saying now that Adam has reproduced after his image. Now let's think about this. Adam was created in whose image? God's. His son is created after Adam's image, Seth. Let's, let's think if... Adam is made in the image of God. It's after the fall. Seth is made in his father Adam's image. Whose image is that really? God's. See, sin doesn't destroy it. It merely just defaces it. And, and we're not able to recognize it in others at times. And we're not able to recognize it um, in ourselves. But the laws of creation have not changed. 
what was done by God has not been undone by humanity when it comes to our image. Because who God is does not change. So that means the image of who we are created in does not change. So the one who created us thinks has this image and picture of who we are meant to be, and it is to be like him. But this is, this is what culture says. And I got to thinking about this and looking at the identity and the images is if what, what companies do when they want to project a certain image, when they want people to have a certain view about them, they will create products, they will change branding, they will change logos. And we've seen this in the last year with all these companies that are going, quote unquote, woke to try to reach different demographics, they find out that's not working because they change their identity to get a new image with this crowd. But as they change their identity to get a new image with this crowd, what happened with us over here? Our image of that changed. And so now what are they doing? Oh, okay, we gotta change our identity, our logo, our, our, our logo, our branding, our products, so we can come back over here. And what we find ourselves doing is we're trying to pursue these changing images of what we want people to think about us because this is what culture says. We should build our identity to establish an image. So what it's saying is like, we take the good parts that we like about us and we blow those up, we build those up. We take the bad parts that we don't like and we hide those. We build who we are so that we can establish an image that we prefer an image that we want people to have about us. That's what culture says. Build your, build your identity to pursue an image. But when we look at what we've read today and looking at God's image, scripture says this, we get to build our identity from a place of an established image. It doesn't change. Who you were created to be, the image you were created in, it does not change. And so we have to be mindful. What image are we pursuing? Are we pursuing the image that culture says we should have? Are we pursuing the image that, that we want for ourselves? Or are we going to pursue the image that was created in us, for us, by the one who created everything? And he created us not just to be a carbon copy, but to be like him, to reflect him, to have his nature. And not only to have his nature, we have his authority on the earth. We have his spirit within us now as believers. And so when we look at, at those of us in this room and, and, and some of us are walking in Christ and you hear like we're going to talk about having identity in Christ. And what that means is, is when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we allow that relationship to redeem and to renew and to restore that image to its original form. It's like taking a magic eraser. Have you guys ever used a magic eraser? They're the greatest, right? Let me give you a life hack. You know when you get shoes and they all scuff up like on, on the rubber or maybe the white leather and you scrub it with a towel and it doesn't work? Get a magic eraser. It will like like buff those Chuck Taylors right up, right, on the toes and the bands, the sides. And I digress. Let's get back, right? <laughs> but, but, but here is what the blood of Christ has done for us. It has erased everything that sin has defaced on our image. 
And so when you, when you look at this, I want to leave us with, with, with this verse. And I want to allow the image and the identity of who God has shaped us to be, to be the foundation as we look at how he is, is creating in us the identity for us. Because here's the thing. Our image doesn't change, but your identity will change depending on the season that you were in, right? 20 years ago, being a dad was not a part of my identity. Wasn't even thinking about it. But now that's like a huge part of my identity. 20 years from now, being a granddad will be a part of my identity. And I've already told my kids, their kids have to call me old G um, because I grew up on gangster rap and I'm going to be the old guy. So instead of the old gangster, I'm going to be the old guy. So they got to call me Papa OG. Um, that's how it's going to roll. But 20 years from now, 20, I know that's lame. 20 years from now, I'm still going to do it though. I don't care. Um, 20 years from now, I'm going to be a granddad. That's going to be a part of my identity, but the image of who I'm created in doesn't change. 15 years ago, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be a lead pastor. I just wanted to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. I spent the weekend with our teenagers at a Unite event in the city, and it was awesome. 1,700 teenagers at New Vision just worshiping and taking me back to my roots. And I never wanted to do anything but youth ministry because if there's something you don't like about a teenager, they'll grow out of it. If there's something you don't like about an adult, you guys are grown, right? And the Holy Spirit has to get in, and we believe he works. But, but lead pastor, pastoring a church is now a part of my identity. And our identities will shift depending on the season we're in and the things. But our image will stay the same, guys. You were created in the image of God. We need to remember that when the enemy comes to our garden and everything's perfect and says, it's not. We need to remember that when we're in the wilderness and the enemy comes and says, are you really a child of God? Look at where you're at. To remember that he's created that in you and we build on that foundation, that image, not the image that culture says is changing. And so how do we do that? And we're gonna continue this. It says in Colossians 3.10, um, put on your new nature and be renewed. There's that restoration. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So we're created like him. But as we come to know God, we become even more like him. And so to truly know who you are meant to be, you have to know who God is. You have to know, and not just the God of the Bible, but you have to know that he's the God who created you. What is he saying about you? What is he saying to you? Because he loves each of us equally and uniquely, not half-hearted. He doesn't, and can I just say this? He doesn't love us in this room. In here, singing and worshiping and celebrating, he does not love us any more in this room than he does those out in the streets that are lost from him. Because we are all created in his image 
and he paid this same price for us all. And so I don't want this just to be an introspective and thinking like how we see ourselves, church, but we also have to turn and adjust how we see other people. And we're going to talk about some of the hard things over the next couple of weeks and, and, and the divide that's coming in this culture. But as the church, we, we don't stand on either side. We stand in the middle because the truth is in the middle. There's a thief on either side of Jesus. I said, Jesus, you, I know who he is. The other one's saying, no, he's getting what he's deserved. Jesus, the truth was in the middle. We don't waver from the truth, but we are the bridge for the truth, right? And so I wanna pray for us as, as we close. And I want for those of us in here, like if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and like you've tried to find your identity and your image and your worth and all these things, it's, it's, it's gonna be shifting. It's gonna be changing. The only thing that doesn't change is the one who created you and you're created in his image. And so for today, some of you need to put on your new nature and you need to have that image, that nature renewed into who he created you to be. And so with every eye closed and every, every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you do not have a relationship with your creator and you do not know him, you may call yourself a Christian, but you do not know him or maybe you are far from God and have never known him, but something is stirring up on the inside of you today and I pray it's not the emotions of my words, but it's the spirit of God. It's the breath of God that was breathed into all of mankind from the very beginning, drawing you back to the one who created you. And the sin in our life separates us from that. It has defaced our image and keeps us from God. But Jesus did the finished work, paid the final price for our sin so that we could be back in relationship with him. Because apart from ourselves, we deserve nothing but death. And all left to ourselves, we can do nothing good enough to wipe that away. But scripture says, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, that's where your identity is found. And I'm gonna invite you just to lift your hand so that I know who I'm praying for. If you say, Jesus, Stephen, I, I need to give my life to Jesus and start a life with him, I'm gonna invite you just to lift your hand so that I know who I'm praying for. And then we're gonna pray as a congregation in just a moment. Awesome, awesome. All right, look up here at me. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite you to pray. And I know some churches, they say, repeat after me, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I'm gonna ask you from, from your heart, if you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, just to, to start the conversation with this. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Because he tells us that if we are to receive eternal life, we have to give up our temporal life. And so you say, Jesus, I surrender, I give you my life. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried and you rose again for my sins. And I'm giving you my life and following you. I'm surrendering to you. It's not all that's gonna be said, but it's gonna be the start of an eternal conversation that will grow as you come to know him. And then for the rest of us, here's what I want as individuals and also corporately that our image and our identity would be on the very foundation that we are created in his image, nothing else. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you this afternoon and just 
pray that your words um, find their way into our hearts today. And they would not just be there for a moment, but they would take root and we would see ourselves as you see us. We would see others as you see us, that we would stand on the foundation of how you created us in your image. And sin does not destroy that. It merely defaces it. And we come into agreement that we have been renewed and made new, restored by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, to walk in that truth that every lie of the enemy is silenced but our eyes are also open to compassion for those around us. And God, for those that lifted their hands, needing a relationship with you, and God, that maybe there's guilt and sin and insecurity that that the enemy may have put on them, but you have even used that for good to bring them to this place of repentance and turning away from their way of doing things and turning towards your way of life. Not that we have to have it all figured out or all understand, but we just have to come to a place of submission and surrender to you. And so God, even as they're at their seat in conversation with you, God, I pray that they would experience and feel just a a removal of weight, a removal of bondage, and just an overwhelming sense of your grace and your mercies. And God, help us to walk out in the truth of your word, not just on Sundays, but in every moment and every area of of our life. And Father, we just give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.